It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 316 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, April 16th. It's Monday, never mind. Monday, April 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure right now you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, local experts on all the teams uh, still in the playoffs. After the first weekend, make sure you're checking out uh, if there's a series that tickles your fancy. Make sure you check out the corresponding shows on the network. There's Locked On NBA. Josh Lloyd hosted it last night, uh, dove into some of the coach firings uh, over the last week or so with the Knicks and Magic. And, uh, yeah, Locked on NBA with David Locke, all, so much stuff going on in the network, so make sure you're checking it out. If you find a show that you like, make sure you subscribe, rate, review. If you find Locked on Raptors, please do that. It takes no time at all. It's the best way to help out the show. Show that you care. It takes five seconds, and uh, it really does help move us up the rankings. I saw Locked on Raptors in the top 50 today in the Canadian iTunes charts, so please keep doing that. It, uh, it's very helpful. It makes us more visible, and uh, thanks in advance. All right, on today's show, uh, yesterday's show, we kind of dove very much into the Raptors angle of Game 1, so I wanted to kind of get the Wizards perspective on things, so to join me today, it's a return guest back for the first time in over a year uh, from truthaboutit.net, it's Rashad Mobley, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's, it's been too long. It has been. Uh, this is, uh, it's nice to catch up. The Raptors, of course, are up one nothing in this series. The Wizards... I don't know. I had a hard time sort of judging how they played in this game because I, I went in, I picked the Raptors in five. I thought just the full body of work this season suggested the Raptors are just a better team than the Wizards. Um, but obviously there was some hope for the Wizards considering their talent and their sort of past playoff pedigree. I guess we can start with having seen one game, has your outlook at all changed for what the Wizards can do in this series? Like what was your mindset going in uh, and how does maybe one game change based on what they did or didn't do in game one? Uh, well, I picked the Raptors in six. Mm-hmm. I there were some things that I saw at the end of the year, at the end of the season for the Wizards, that I was worried that they would continue in against Toronto. Um, I believe it was against the Celtics um, in the last week of the, one of the last games of the season, and I just noticed how the Celtics, even though the Wizards won, it just completely spread the Wizards out, and they were hitting threes everywhere, and mm-hmm. just. It, it concerned me that their recovery defense and just covering the perimeter was not there. And I, between that and Kelly Oubre kind of slumping with his shot, he hasn't been consistently hitting shots like he was earlier in the season. I mean, earlier in the season, Coach Brooks was so worried that he was getting carried away with offense that he kept stressing, we need Kelly Oubre to keep playing defense. Mm-hmm. Now he's not doing either one. <laughs> uh, Beal played more games and more minutes than he has at any point in his career. And you notice towards the end of the season, even when Wall was back, he's just running. He just looks a little run down. He doesn't have that other gear to go to. And up until this season, Beal was known as a playoff performer, but it was easier to do that when he didn't have to carry the load. So there were little things that I was worried about, and all of those little things came to play in game one. 
They weren't defending the three. I mean, as you know, C.J. Miles is a notorious Wizards killer. Even back when he was with Indiana, mm-hmm. some of those three-pointers he had, he had time to eat a sandwich. And, you know, just it was way too much time. I think you saw the lack of – I mean, Otto Porter was not 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and neither was Mike Scott. They, I'm, I was surprised that they even played. Um, so you can point to that. I mean, Wall played an excellent game. Most of his misses were layups, and so he won't do that in game two. But – there's not a cohesiveness, a cohesiveness there that was there last year when they played so well in March and April. In fairness, you know, John Wall was healthy that whole time, but that factors into how you think this team can do, and I just I did not see that a sustained cohesiveness. You saw it in, in bunches when it looked like Toronto was going to run away, you know, especially in the second and third quarters. John Wall made it his business to keep the team in the game, but there just was a certain inevitability there that you just knew the Rosen wasn't going to stay cold. Like the Raptors were not going to stay cold as a team, and that's what happened. So I, you know, you're you're often way more pessimistic when you cover the team and when you look at them every day, and you mm-hmm. just notice all the flaws, and you're very reluctant to kind of give the team some credit. But I don't see anything changing short of Waller, Bill having a James Harden game, or Otto Porter, or Kelly Oubre kind of breaking out of it and having a good game. And I, I just, I don't see that happening. So I I wrote before game one that I thought it was huge for both teams, not just for Toronto because they had to shake off the ghosts of the past, but it's very important for the Wizards too because despite how they finished the season, one good game on the road, all of a sudden every everything goes away. You, you have a confidence. And now you have to worry about our, you know, it's, not paranoia, is doubt going to creep in? Is somebody going to start playing hero ball? You just have to worry about all that. So that was a long answer, but that's a long way of saying yes. I'm I'm a little concerned because what we saw in Game One is the same thing we saw the last week of the season out of the Wizards. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Ninety-three percent of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/podcast. Just go to Indeed.com/podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, good points all. The Bradley Beal thing is interesting to me to admit that you mentioned he's kind of wearing down. That's like essentially what happened in the series in 2015 from the Raptors side of things. You know, DeMar DeRozan missed 21 games that year. Kyle Lowry sort of carried the day. And then by the end of the year, he just was not the same guy. I think he was just more banged up than maybe Bradley Beal is right now. And Bradley Beal, I think, still scares me more than any other wizard. But uh, that's interesting that that's kind of a parallel to draw back to 2015. Um, you mentioned John Wall. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's no. funny you mentioned that because when uh, when Toronto was in D.C. and somebody from the Toronto media asked if there were parallels between what the Wizards were doing without Wall and what Toronto had done, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and said he said all these people talking about the Wizards don't need John Wall are crazy because when we were when we had our run, we started off beautifully and then we kind of came back to earth, the adrenaline wore off, and we and we weren't. We weren't the same team, and he. This was this was while the Wizards were still rolling, and everybody was eating, and everybody was contemplating whether the Wizards were better without Wall. And shortly after that conversation with Dwayne Casey, the Wizards started coming back to earth. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you know, it, it, it's funny you brought up those parallels because Dwayne Casey had that exact same observation when he was in town. As it turns out, these two teams are constructed very similarly, and I feel like uh, things like a long-term injury to one of the stars would probably have a similar effect. Um, you mentioned Wall and how he had like a, a pretty good game. The second quarter, I thought he was excellent. He was kind of picking apart the Raptors' defense, uh, and I thought they kind of leveraged the attention they were playing to Bradley Beal off the ball into sort of getting some looks for Otto Porter. Uh, Porter didn't have a great game or anything, only shot seven times, but I think most of those looks came in the second quarter sort of as an offshoot of all the, the attention being paid to Beal, and Wall was really good at picking that apart. What did you think of Wall's game as a whole, though? Because, like... Around the rim, yeah, he was like, what, 2 of 10 around the rim? That's not going to happen every time. At the same time, the Raptors were the number two team in protecting the rim this season, and I feel like they're probably okay with John Wall kind of, you know, it felt like in that fourth quarter, and maybe this this speaks to sort of their issues in the fourth quarter this season as a whole. They've been one of the worst fourth quarter teams, period. Um, it kind of felt like Wall was looking for guys, but he wasn't exactly sort of you know, it wasn't a healthy sort of offense. It was him holding the ball for 15 seconds and then trying to find like a one one single pass for an assist. And it wasn't sort of breaking down the Raptors the way, say, maybe the Raptors defense was breaking apart the, the, the Wizards where, you know, it was sort of, you know, drive after drive. There were a couple possessions where they would get it inside, kick it out, and there was multiple drives and resets eventually winding up with threes. I think that DeLon Wright three near the end of regulation kind of was the, the main example of that. And that was just not really present for the Wizards. There were no possessions like that where the ball was kind of pinging around. Is there, like, does Wall inherently kind of bring down the crunch time ceiling of this team as opposed to if Beal was kind of, you know, being asked to carry more of a, of a creation low late in games? Well, it's funny you mention that. I, I think, I mean, I hate to go back to the end of the regular season, but yeah, no when Scott Brooks was asked to kind of, to assess, the limited sample size that John Wall came back to play in, and he says, I like John, he's in shape, you know, I'm not worried about him being in shape or him getting tired, but I want him to be a little more decisive on offense. If he's mm-hmm. going to pass the ball, make the easy pass, don't make the, you know, the all-star pass, and if you're going to shoot the ball, go to the rim and go strong. Don't kind of get what I like to call the Allen Iverson assist, where you exhaust all options of scoring, and then you jump in the air and on the way down, just hope somebody bails you out. Right. You know, he was he was doing a lot of that towards the end of the year, and it just kind of spilled over into the game. He had stretches where he was running, he was playing with pace, and everything, particularly in those second and third quarters where the Wizards were rolling. But in crunch time, it's been a pro- it was a problem when Wall before the injury. It was definitely a problem when Beal was running the show. Beal is not a crunch time player. Mm-hmm. He misses throws. He doesn't. He's not decisive with his passes, and he just—it was—it uh, was just—it was just bad. And now that Wall is back, I'm not going to say that he brings them down. He's just not comfortable yet. Right. I mean, I think if all you have to look back at is last postseason, the Wizards against the Hawks and against the Celtics, even though they lost, John Wall and the offense was in a rhythm. You know, there was a rhythm to what he did. He came down on a pick and roll, found Gortat cutting to the basket. Next time he came down. Got to the basket, as you alluded to, broke down the defense, found Otto Porter on one side or Bill on the other side. He was in a rhythm, and the stats from the first in game one lie a little bit because he was in a rhythm in pockets, but when it got to that fourth quarter, it kind of regressed to one-on-one ball. I mean, Otto Porter wasn't exactly burning it up, and neither was Bradley Bill. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, Wall needs to find a rhythm, but he also needs to get some outside shooting help, and that's, again, that goes back to Kelly Oubre. When... When the Wizards are on and Kelly Oubre and Beal 
and auto porter are hot from the outside. It's amazing how much the lane opens up and how much how much better wall looks. But right now it's just it's not there. And I you know, I wonder when coach you know, I obviously I'm not on the road, I'm not talking to Coach Brooks, but I just wondered if you're gonna tweak the offense at all mm-hmm. because right now it just looks like and you probably feel the same way. I feel like every game of this series can go exactly the way game one went where the Raptors establish a lead, the Wizards hang around, they take a slight lead in their fourth quarter, the bench and the Raptors are just too much. And if you had asked me that last year, I wouldn't have felt like that. I felt like there was another gear the Wizards had. I just I don't see it now. So I hope I'm wrong and I hope that Wall is able to kinda of establish that rhythm and get a little help, but right now it just doesn't it doesn't look like that. And granted as we talked about before, he missed a lot of easy shots that he normally doesn't miss. Normally when he gets to the rim, regardless of who the rim protector is in the other team, he's either scoring or he's getting to the line. He's not just missing and not getting any calls. Mm-hmm. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, the it's interesting you mentioned maybe Scott Brooks trying to tweak the offense a bit. It's There are a few things that I think Scott Brooks probably needs to work on going forward because I, I didn't I thought he got coached, outcoached by Casey pretty handily in game one. Uh, Casey, I think, kind of turned the right knobs at the right time. The, the Bebe substitution in the fourth quarter in particular, putting Kyle uh, in place of Norman Powell with the all bench unit to start the fourth, I think kind of blew that whole thing open. And that's, you probably expect that. And maybe, you know, if you look at, you know, when the Raptors had Fred Van Vliet back, the second quarter, where I think the biggest misstep by Scott Brooks that kind of went unpunished, but I don't think it will, you know, going forward, was. Brooks had four straight minutes from the end of the first quarter into the start of the second where all of Beal, Wall, and Porter were on the bench. And I know this is a thing Scott Brooks has done, both with OKC and the Wizards, having his best players all on the bench at once. I didn't think we'd see it in the playoffs in particular, especially with this Wizards team, you know, A, being banged up a little bit, and B, just not being super deep, you know, even when healthy. Um, but we saw that, and the Raptors were only a plus one in that situation because Fred VanVleet wasn't in there. It was Norman Powell, and that lineup just doesn't have a whole lot of offensive juice. But when Fred's there, that lineup has been well-documented. They just blitz teams, and I, I feel like if Scott Brooks does it again and Fred VanVleet's back for Game 2 or Game 3 or somewhere else in the series, that's going to be a part in the game where instead of the Wizards having a big 36-27 second quarter, they could get off to the wrong foot, the Raptors kind of blow it open, and that was, that's been the formula for the Raptors for most of this year. So... What do you think, are there ways Brooks can kind of tweak the rotation, do you think, to sort of keep his best players on the court at all time, or are you expecting this to just be a thing that he's going to live with and continue throughout the series? Well, there's a couple things at play here, and one, I'll defer to my colleague Ben Standig, who you probably know, he mm-hmm. used to do a lot of just podcasts, and he discussed in his piece that what happened in Game 1, particularly in that second quarter, was a product of the Wizards not addressing wing depth. Mm-hmm. They don't I mean, he went out and got Ty Lawson, um, another point guard, and the assumption there is that Thomas Sedaransky can play some wing. Well, that's that's not his strength. I mean, he kind of cut his teeth this year being the point guard when John Wall wasn't there. And so, you know, if you don't have wing depth and your two wings, Mike Scott and Otto Porter, aren't exactly playing well, it forced Scott Brooks into this weird thing where instead of doing what he should do, which is, 
take Waller Beal out with about four, three or four minutes left in the first quarter, put Sadoransky in, and then when the when the second quarter starts, you can have Sadoransky running the court, you can have Beal in, and he can stagger Wall and Beal in a way that they never leave the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, much much like he did in Oklahoma City when he never he always had Durant or Westbrook on the floor. Mm-hmm. Twitter was blowing up. Wizards Twitter was blowing up with that exact observation. Like, what, what is he doing? Why is he doing that now? And it, it just the bench, the Raptors bench is arguably the strength of the team. And he went the lineup that he had out there was just not cutting it. Now, of course, you know, Wall caught fire later on in the quarter, and it didn't burn them too much. But his Scott Brooks's rotations are not airtight as they should be. Some of that is due to injury. Some of that is due to I mean, you can even look at something as small as Jody Meeks being suspended. Mm-hmm. You know, Jody was always one of those, you put him in for a few minutes, you can hit some shots here and there, but if he's not, you take him out. Now you don't have that option. Now you don't have a healthy Mike Scott or Otto Porter. So I, 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 I want to give him a little bit of a pass because he didn't know literally until the tip-off whether he was going to have Scott and Porter. And once, once they were out there, Mike Scott played well, but Otto didn't. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe going into this game, he'll know exactly what he's going to get out of the players who play. He can tweak the rotation a little bit. But that's not something he did very often this season, having when Wall and Bill were available, having both of them on the bench. Because um, it's just not it's not a good look. For the One of them needs to be on the floor. And, again, it's not as big of a deal. It used to be when Wall came out, he would put Bradley Bill on the point guard, and which would kind of nullify what Brad Bill does so well, which is cutting and, and running and coming off screens. Mm-hmm. Now he has Sadoransky. Sadoransky has played almost more than half the season without Wall, so I I didn't see that lineup enough. And to your to your point, when Van Vliet comes back, that absolutely needs to be the case because that bench is only going to get better within minutes. They're not going to regress. One other lineup thing I want to touch on before I let you go here. Uh, Mike Scott and Markeith Morris were kind of thrust into being the front court after uh, both Gortat and Mahindi picked up pretty quick fouls. Mahindi never came into the game after that in the first quarter. Um, and it was okay. Like, the, the main lineup they used, it was seven minutes. It was Beal, uh, Wall, Porter, Morris, Scott. They were a plus 1.9 net rating in seven minutes, so who knows. Um, but I did kind of fear that you know, if you're, it, this cuts both ways because the Raptors in in the past have kind of struggled against stretchier front courts where you go Morris and Scott. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like Morris Scott is small enough and maybe not quite stretchy enough that you know eventually an Ibaka Valanciunas front court, especially with Ibaka rebounding the way he was, is probably going to eventually kind of make it, make their presence known. And you know, the rebounding was pretty decent for the Wizards in those minutes. But I feel like eventually that could be you know a pretty big problem if, you're, if that was to be played out over a longer sample. Um, but at the same time, like Gortat was not particularly effective. The starters were not effective. They were a minus twenty nine point four net rating in their eighteen minutes. Um, like, what do you think is the, the 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 play here for Scott Brooks in terms of balancing small ball versus you know traditionally having one of their centers? Because they played most of the season with one of Mahinmi or Gortat at center, but uh, I, I don't know. It didn't really work out for them in, in in game one. Is there you know an adjustment there? Maybe they go small a little bit more often. What do you think uh, is going through Scott Brooks's mind right now? Well, it doesn't. I mean, Gortat does not play well once Valanciunas leaves the floor. I yeah. mean, he cannot. He cannot get out there and guard Ibaka. I mean, it's just it's the the Raptors have the kind of lineup that can expose all of Gortat's weaknesses. And so, when 
the Valanciunas came off the floor, I, I expected to see Mahimi, and I also expected to see the lineup that Scott Brooks, Scott Brooks used a little, where he put Morris at the five, Porter at the four. Mm-hmm. Then he, he'll have Wall, Beal, and 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 uh, and Uber in. He didn't he didn't show that lineup, but <sighs> the rebounding is is, is is a big key, and I just don't think that number one. Well, let me let me go back. Marquise Morris is always a risk to put in um, at five because. Sometimes he gets in his own head. He gets fouls and punches. He starts barking at the refs, and then he just gets completely taken out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Mahini normally does a good job against athletic bigs, but for whatever reason, he wasn't in there either. So, I, again, it speaks to the inconsistency with Scott Brooks. I, I don't know what he can do. I do know when Wall and Gortat are together, regardless of what goes on on the defensive end of the floor, if Gortat gets a few extra layups, dunks in the beginning, he becomes a more motivated, active player. Um, with Mahimi, it's the same way. If you can get him on the break and the Wizards are running, he becomes more active on the defensive end of the floor. So, you know, that might be the key. But I, one of the reasons why I wanted Boston and not Toronto is the front court and how Abaka has the kind of game that drives the Wizards crazy. They don't really have anybody who can defend him comfortably. Mm-hmm. And Valentinus when he gets on a roll, can get Gortat in foul trouble. He can get Mahimi in foul trouble. So I don't, I don't have, I mean, again, I sound pessimistic here, but I don't <laughs> have confidence that Brooks has the magical elixir to stop that. This is just a, this is a different team than it was in 2015, and you all just have so many different options with which to beat the Wizards, and the Wizards right now, as currently constructed, don't seem to be able to combat that. Rashad, man, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sort of shedding light on kind of the Wizards side of things. Uh, definitely, you're more pessimistic than I thought you would be, but I guess game one kind of, you know, I, I, maybe you felt this too. It was an eight-point game. I kind of feel like the Raptors for the most of the game, aside from that second quarter, kind of felt like they were in control. Um, so, but yeah, no, I'm interested to see what's going to happen in game two. There are definitely some moves to be made from Scott Brooks. It's weird being someone who covers the Raptors and not really worrying about in-between game adjustments right now because the Raptors are usually always down 0-1 and have to make some sort of drastic change. Uh, Not the case right now. So uh, thanks so much for coming on, man, and shedding some light on what the Wizards might do. Uh, Where can people find you, and do you have anything you'd like to plug right now? Uh, I'm at truthaboutit.net. My Twitter handle is Rashad20. Uh, I will be working on something tonight that will be up tomorrow just you know, going do a little deeper dive on the game before the next one. Um, and I hope I didn't come off as too pessimistic. <laughs> but, you know, at, at the same time, when you look at the box score and DeRozan and Lowry combined for 28 points and the Wizards still lose by eight, it just, it, it, it's not a good feeling. It reminds me of that last night's game, the Houston uh, Timberwolves game, where it felt like, it felt like a blowout. And every time you looked at the score, Minnesota was right there, but you never really felt like Minnesota was going to take over and win. Right. That's how I felt about Wizards Raptors. So I'm hoping I'm wrong. Um, hopefully at some point you have me back on the podcast and I can have a much more sunny outlook on things. Absolutely, man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely do it again sometime. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks to the listeners for tuning in. The next podcast will come uh, from the ACC after Game 2. 
on uh, Tuesday night, so stay tuned for that. Um, and until then, I wrote today a piece on RaptorsHQ.com. I compared Dwayne Casey's post-game presser from Game 1 of last year's series against the Bucks with his post-game uh, presser from Game 1 this year against the Wizards. Uh, things done changed, so go read about that. And, uh, and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.